Good morning. For those who don't know you, my name's Bob Penno, and I do have the privilege this morning of reading the sermon reading, which comes from Matthew chapter 6. We'll be reading from verse 5 through to verse 15. As Pete Stacey will later reveal to us more of the Sermon on the Mount. But now let's hear what Jesus had to say. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Amen. Thanks, Bob. My name's Pete Stacey, and it is great to be looking at God's Word together now. And obviously this passage is all about prayer. So I've got a few giveaways this morning. I, uh, Beth and I were just combining our libraries. We've got lots of double-ups. And I found a whole bunch of these little mini magazines. Help for a sick prayer life. Now, I'm not going to ask for hands up who wants one. It might be a bit embarrassing, but I'll leave some of them on the back table. But this one I am going to give away uh, before the throne of God. Uh, written by a local fellow, David Mulready. Embracing the joy and privilege of prayer. I'm only going to give it to you if you're going to read it. Who wants it? Who wants it? First hand up gets the book. Oh, that's five hands. Thank you very much. This is yours. Enjoy. We'll get you to do a book review in two weeks. Right. Just joking. All right. So, look, it is, it is great to read God's Word. It's great to read books that help us. 
uh, in the whole area of prayer. And um, of course, the, the Lord's Prayer smack bang in the middle of this passage. Back in term 3, 2020, we did a four-week series. Remember that one? Four-week series. That's straight off our website. Uh, looking at the Lord's Prayer, just the prayer, in detail. So if you really want to explore particular bits of the Lord's Prayer, can I encourage you to go back to that website, check out those talks. It's a really, really good short series. Because what I want to do today is pick up on the verses before and after the prayer, and in particular, the theme of what I call double forgiveness. It's part of the prayer in verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And it's the only thing that Jesus then restates and reinforces in the couple of verses after the Lord's Prayer. Look at it. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. It's full on, isn't it? I suspect he expanded on that one little bit because he knew we'd find this really hard. We all love to receive the extravagant mercy and love of God. But when we're called to pass on that same extravagant mercy, forgiveness, we struggle. So let's ask God to do a wonderful work in our hearts here this morning as we consider the theme of forgiveness together. Let's pray. Loving Father, as we look at some challenging verses today, Help us not to think that we know better than you and so reject your word. Help us not to think that it's, it's just too hard and so resist your word. Rather, help us to listen carefully with a desire to understand and commit to obey. We ask this for your glory and for our good. Amen. Well, prayer is simply talking to God. You know, it's our half of a two-way relationship. God speaks to us. Uh, through his word, the Bible, we speak to him in prayer. In today's passage, he teaches his disciples, see verse 9, how you should pray. Now, we sometimes forget that Jesus' disciples were familiar with prayer. They're adult Jews. They'd grown up hearing prayers and saying prayers. In fact, prayer was a part of the very fabric of the culture of the day. So why did Jesus feel the need to teach them anything about prayer? Well, when we learn something, they always have to learn what to do, um, and then there's what not to do. But if you've been doing something for a long time, um, there's always things that we have to unlearn as well. For example, I, uh, I kind of grew up swimming, um, but mostly just by watching others, and then you had a compulsory three-week swim school in primary, primary school. Uh, and uh, then as an adult, I learned to kind of breathe both sides. I thought I was doing pretty well. Until I joined the surf club and um, trained with some really good swimmers, like one ex-national swimmer, and they could see what I couldn't see. There are lots of things, uh, bad habits, I just had to unlearn. Uh, so Jesus begins in this uh, passage by telling us two things not to do. Two things that I'm sure many of his listeners then and today need to unlearn. Number one, don't pray to impress people. Verse 5. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners. Why? To be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in, in full. The hypocrites used prayer as a way of drawing attention to themselves, to be seen. 
Uh, like last week with giving, as we looked at that. They did it in their worship place and their workplace. Uh, this desire to be seen just infiltrated their whole experience of prayer. Their whole lives were infected. And it made their prayers that they spoke abominable to God and useless for accomplishing any real change. So friends, how do we combat this problem? Well, I think it's helpful to ask ourselves, who am I trying to impress? God or other people? Who am I actually speaking to, especially in group prayers? Am I praying to God? Am I praying to impress those who are listening? And when we pray, think of this. Think of what will build God's kingdom and benefit other people rather than ourselves. The second thing not to do, Jesus addresses in verse 7, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Friends, there's no special words or, or formula that can bend God's will in our favour. Suddenly, like breaking into like King James English or getting really loud as you pray your prayers or, uh, or really forceful doesn't get any closer to God. It just draws attention to ourselves and, and can actually isolate those listening to us. And using lots of words and trying to ask the same thing from every possible angle, on and on and on and on and on, doesn't increase our change, chances of being heard by God. As one person put it, the probability of a positive answer is not in proportion to the number of words we use. <laughs> so how do we combat this problem? Well, when we pray, I've got three things here. When we pray, be honest. Be honest. Tell God what is in your heart and mind. Secondly, be humble. Just acknowledge that you need God's help. You can't do life without Him. And thirdly, be specific. Get to the point. Don't go on and on, whinging and complaining and begging. God loves you, and as verse 8 tells us, He already knows what we need. So talk to Him honestly, humbly, and be specific. Now, sandwiched between these two warnings is Jesus' way of prayer. Verse 6. When you pray, go into your room. <clears throat> Close the door. Pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Note the phrase there, to your Father. Not at Him. Not about Him. Prayer is talking to Him. As for calling Him Father, that would have stung the ears of the Jewish religious community. Not only was Jesus accused of blasphemy for calling God his Father, but now he's actually teaching all his followers to address God the same way. <coughs> but friends, it's true. If you put your trust in Jesus, you are God's child, loved by him and saved by him. The Apostle John is just bursting with joy when he talks about it. He says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Verse 6, it's very individual, isn't it? Just you and God in a closed room. And yet this language that uh, Jesus gives us in the, in the prayer itself is all plural. Our Father, forgive us. Lead us. So this is actually a prayer for both 
personal private use, as well as corporate use when we're gathered together as God's family. Note too how Jesus introduces the prayer. This then is how you should pray. Now there's debate about whether Jesus wanted, wanted it to be a, a set prayer that was recited, exactly verbatim, or a model prayer to be expressed in our own words, instead of following the themes. Friends, it is both. Many people have found tremendous comfort in their dying moments because they were able to recite the Lord's Prayer from heart because they learned it as a child. And many believers have found such help and spiritual nourishment and vitality by learning to follow the themes and the, the structure of the Lord's Prayer with their own specific thoughts and words and needs. And so we come to the Lord's Prayer itself, and all I'm going to say is, can I encourage you, go to the website, check those messages that we did, really unpacking it in detail. Because in our remaining time, I want to focus on verses 14 and 15 that come after it. And I hope that we'll rediscover not only God's forgiveness of us, but also his power that enables us to then forgive other people. Many years ago, our family went to Ayers Rock. Who's been there? Yeah, quite a few people. Fantastic. I'd seen it in pictures and people who've been there. Time is really big. Yeah, very big. Um, but nothing prepares you for just how big it is. Like, in real life, it was gigantic. It's massive. Absolutely massive. I mean, the, the scrub you can see down the bottom of that picture, they're, they're big trees, big gum trees. Uh, it's just huge. And I think forgiveness is a lot like that. Everyone basically knows what it means. But when we see what God means by the word forgiveness, it's massive. It's bigger than we ever imagined. Uh, let me just share a few Bible verses that have really helped me grasp God's forgiveness. Hebrews 9.22, pretty gruesome. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It reminds me that sin is serious. And true forgiveness is really costly. Costly to God to forgive us. Costly for us to forgive others. Matthew 26, 28. This is my blood of the covenant, this is Jesus speaking, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. They're the forgiveness that God offers to us cost Jesus his life. Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I love this one because north and south... They have an endpoint at a pole, apparently. I've never seen it. Apparently it's there. Um, but east and west are boundless. You can go west forever. You never stop. God's forgiveness, likewise, knows no limits. And this last one is one of my favourites. Jeremiah 31. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Notice it doesn't say God forgets. You know the old phrase, forgive and forget? Friends, some, some things you just can't forget. God knows everything about us. Good and bad. He sees all our sin, including the things that no one else knows about or has even seen. And, and even the sins that we ourselves haven't recognised yet. He sees the lot. 
in forgiving us, not like he just suddenly gets amnesia and like, oh, what did you do? That's not like that at all. The wages of sin is death. But if we have put our trust in Jesus Christ, then God chooses, it's an active decision, chooses to remember our sins no more. He will never hold them against us again. <coughs> Ever. When we pray, forgive us our debts, we recognise that sin is a debt we simply cannot pay. Only our Father in Heaven can save us and clean our hearts. And He does that by forgiving us. And He can only forgive us because Jesus paid our debt in full by His death on the cross. And then those God has forgiven, He also calls to forgive others. Jesus told a story in Matthew 18, you might be familiar with it, about a servant who owed the king a huge amount of money, about 20 years' wages. That's a lot of money. When the king demanded payment and threatened severe penalties, the servant begged for mercy. There he is on that artwork on the screen. And, uh, and the king showed mercy. He cancelled the debt and granted him freedom. <coughs> So I was so relieved. He, he went out on his way. As he did, he saw someone that owed him a few hundred bucks. And uh, he demanded payment. And he threatened severe treatment. The other person fell on his knees and begged this servant for mercy. <laughs> but the servant refused and had him arrested until he could pay back the full amount. Some other people saw what happened. They told the king. Listen to how Jesus concludes. Then the king called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, in anger, his master handed him over to the jails to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And here's the punchline. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Friends, when God forgives, He forgives all the sin that we've ever committed in our past, now and our future. Paid in full. Every single you could add it up and it'll be a lot more than 20 years wages. He calls us to forgive when others offend us. Friends, we can't receive from God with one hand but have a clenched fist and a hard attitude towards others. As salt corrodes steel. So too bitterness and unforgiveness corrodes the human soul and if left unchecked, it will just suck the life out of us. This part of the Lord's Prayer is for our good in every way. When we pray, uh, when we pray let us do so with great thankfulness for our forgiven sins and earnest devotion as we seek to then forgive others. <coughs> Jesus says to us, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. 
But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Friends, I want to finish with an outstanding example of this. Uh, some of you will know the story, the life of Corrie Ten Boom. She grew up in a Christian family in Holland during World War II. Uh, their home became a refuge for Jewish fugitives and others hunted by the Nazis. Uh, and they saved an estimated like 800 lives because of what they were doing. Very dangerous. Uh, they end up being found out. Secret police came and raided their home. Corrie and her family were all in prison. Corrie's father died in prison 10 days later from mistreatment at age 84. Her brothers were also killed. Corrie and her sister Betsy were moved to Ravensbrook Concentration Camp. Just outside Berlin. Life in camp, absolutely horrific. But Corrie and Betsy spent their time telling their fellow prisoners, all women, uh, about Jesus. And many of them became Christians in that terrible place because of their witness. Betsy, Corrie's loved, beloved sister, died in prison as well. She had such a difficult life. But before she died, Betsy told Corrie, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. And due to this kind of clerical error, Corrie got released from the concentration camp. Bizarre. Uh, she knew her life was a gift of God because one week later all the women prisoners her age were killed. Many had only just put their trust in Christ. Sometime after the war, Corrie uh, was at a church service in Munich and a balding, heavyset man came up to her and said, Ah, Miss Ten Boom, Corrie Ten Boom to me. Miss Ten Boom, uh, I'm glad to see you. Don't you know me? She looked at him and he was one of the most harsh guards at the concentration camp. Evil, mocking, shamefully cruel, a wicked man to the core. And he said, I'm now a Christian. I found the Lord Jesus. I read my Bible and I know there is forgiveness for all the sins of the whole world. Also for my sins. I have forgiveness for the cruelties I have done. But then I asked God's grace for an opportunity that I could ask one of my very victims to forgive me. And Fräulein Ten Boom, since you are forgiven, will you forgive me? And he held out his hand. Listen to Corrie's own words. I kept my hand at my side. I remember the suffering of my dying sister Betsy because of him. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. I could only hate him. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I prayed, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. Father, your love is stronger than my hatred and unforgiveness. That same moment, I was free and I could say, Brother, give me your hand. And I shook hands with him. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, on my arm, through my hand sprang a love for the stranger that almost overwhelmed me. You've never touched the ocean of God's love 
until that moment you forgive your enemies. Friends, that's an extraordinary testimony to the power of God. Not only to forgive us our sins, but to give us the strength to forgive others who have sinned against us. Let us do likewise. In a moment we're going to sing Amazing Grace. You know the one with the added chorus? Um, in fact, can the musos come up now? We'll sing it just in a moment. Look at that first line, my chains are gone, I've been set free. That describes the person who knows they are forgiven. Friends, is that you this morning? Do you know deep in your heart that you are forgiven by a holy God who cannot tolerate sin, but who sent His Son, our Lord Jesus, to die on the cross and pay your sin debt in full? If so, if you know the love and forgiveness of God, then friends, set others free by forgiving them freely, just as God in Christ has forgiven them.